this just in from the powers that be. We have the reports of a spiffingly wonderful but slightly weird podcast with news from around the world wide web. This podcast contains amusing quips and delightful anecdotes that may just cheer up your Monday. I believe I'm getting some audio from the podcast itself. I seem to have a history with mini golf because I've had a bird land on my shoulder at another mini golf course. You ever thought about not playing mini golf as much or indoor mini golf safely? I've, I've played indoor mini golf and I got hit in the head with a mini golf ball. <laughs> Like, why would you not know Andre the Giant? Like, of all the wrestlers you can't name. Like, why is that guy called Andre the Giant? <laughs> Funny thing, it'd be that other guy that's huge. When my wife goes out, I like to lick her salt, the Himalayan salt lamps. They taste lovely. With that. I'm so scared. <laughs> when my wife goes out, I like to lick Himalayan salt lamps. Would not have been the, the Himalayan salt lamps. The, yeah, yeah. In the blank. Yeah, what, ha- what happened next? I went and got an ice cream from an ice cream shop and the man behind the counter said oh look out for the seagulls and I just laughed because you know you just kind of don't really take it all in anyway I was walking along the beach eating my ice cream and out of bloody nowhere seagull swoops down and takes the head off of my ice cream I'm left with a tiny bit of cone in my childlike hands that's all we can afford to reveal from the archives. If you're wanting more of this type of top quality banter in your eardrums, then you can find them by scanning your most popular platforms, such as the spoofing Spotify, the aristocratic Apple Podcast, and grandstanding Google, among many more. How exciting! So, what's the name of this podcast, you ask? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer to that question is the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. What's that? Say it again, you say? It's the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. You can catch their broadcast from the early bird time of Monday at 7am. But not to worry if you aren't such an early bird as you could always visit the archives when new episodes are added weekly for your listening pleasure. If you suffer from selective hearing, I shall repeat again where you can search for these archives. The following are Spiffing Spotify, Aristocratic Apple Podcasts and Grandstanding Google, among others. So if you enjoy a tickety-boo time, then adjust your streaming platforms and tune in. Football beef! Disclaimer. The following is an opinion-based podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Football Beef. The episode that we promised at the end of the season is finally here. The episode where we talk all things Chelsea. What is going on with Chelsea? What happened at Chelsea? What does the future hold for Chelsea? We're going to debate it here. And to do that, I'm joined by John the Geordie Messiah Squires. Hello there. Who is also Obi-Wan Kenobi, a famous Chelsea fan with his blue lightsaber. And joined by the Professor a football manager himself Tommy Pittman yes before we get into this side note I uh yesterday playing cricket one of the opposition bowlers had a Chelsea hat on and when you go out an umpire you normally take the bowl the hat off the bowler and I was like I don't think I want to take that hat off you it's a Chelsea hat and now he sits here with his Chelsea hat I thought that was going to be the moral of the story now it's it's now in the bin Oh my god. As you it's can not. see, we'll be very fair and balanced about Chelsea. Logic and rational with no biased opinions whatsoever. As no, Chelsea not played. at all. Anyway, to recap what happened to Chelsea last season and how we're going, here's Kaylee summing everything up. 
a consortium led by Todd Bowley acquired membership of Chelsea FC on the 30th of May 2022, which then led to several long-term employees such as Marina Granovskaya, Bruce Buck and Peter Cech leaving the club. While there were already notable player exits ahead of Bowley acquiring the club, other first-team players such as Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner also had exits greenlit. However, the beginning months of Todd Bowley's reign didn't become known for the outgoings, but more for the incomings, as they reportedly spent $278 million in the summer transfer window. This spend saw impressive players such as Raheem Sterling, Koulibaly, Wesley Fofana, Mark Kukurella, as well as promising youngsters such as Kani Chukwu-Mekka being added to the squad. Yet despite the, this influx of highly talented players, Chelsea weren't getting off to the start um, Bowley envisioned, as after winning three, drawing one and two defeats in the league, as well as losing their Champions League opener to Dynamo Zagreb, Chelsea sacked manager Thomas Tuchel. Two days after sacking Tuchel's, Chelsea announced that they had hired Graham Potter to be their new manager, with him signing a five-year deal with the club. Potter got off to a decent start, winning four of his five games in charge. However, the good form wasn't built to last as Chelsea quickly fell further off the pace at the top of the table. Bowley did his best to aid Potter's cause for positive results once the January transfer window came. As the club spent reportedly £107 million on Enzo Fernandez, £62 million on Udrich, as well as spending notable sums of money on Nonu Maduweke, Benoit Badishul, and David Fofana. Chelsea also welcomed Joel Felix on loan from Atletico Madrid till the end of the season, a loan that reportedly cost £9.7 million. Even with these fresh signings, Potter didn't last much longer in the hot seat as he was sacked in April following Chelsea's 2-0 defeat to Aston Villa, which left them 11th in the table. Bruno Salter ended up taking interim charge of the side, overseeing one league game in the process before club legend Frank Lampard was named interim manager until the end of the season. Lampard's arrival didn't have the impact that Chelsea fans would have hoped for, as out of the 11 games he oversaw, two of them being against Real Madrid in the Champions League, he managed only one win. This meant that Chelsea finished 12th in the Premier League, 27 points off the top four. In fact, Chelsea set many unwanted club records as the 12th was their lowest ever finishing in a 38-game season. 44 points was the lowest total they've ever achieved in the Premier League and the 38 goals they scored was the lowest total they have managed in a Premier League season so far. And that isn't even all their negative records. Yet with an oversized squad to whittle down and a new manager hired in the form of Maurizio Potigino, could the future be bright for Chelsea or will the Bowley era continue in a negative fashion? Back to you Laura and the football beef team to discuss. Now that Kaylee has summed everything up, let's get straight to it. Let's talk about Chelsea last season with the very simple question. Tommy, what the frick did you make of Chelsea last season? I don't even really know where to particularly start. They obviously weren't very good, were they, to put like understatement of this entry on it? I mean, I think the main thing that all stems from was just really bad decision making from, from the top down, really. I don't understand why you'd sign all of those players in obviously across the season they didn't sign them all in the summer but I think they would that, if they could have they probably would have done if they could have yes I don't know why you would do that and then I don't know why you would sack a manager so quickly and then which one are you referring to there which one deserved the, longer the, the first one quick, quickly as in early into the season early once they taken over but then I also really don't understand why you would sack another manager with a few months after the season when 
like you're going nowhere you're not going to get relegated you're not going to get into europe what what's the point that i think is like the main place where things went wrong were you going with this it's all down to decision making from higher ups rather than part like as in that's the knock-on effect because obviously the players did deliver because at the end of the day players get you points but it's the knockdown from effects from above all the turmoil stuff like that is that what really derailed chelsea yeah i think for a lot of teams like i know a lot of people blame players and stuff but if you're not settled at the top then your players aren't going to probably perform and i think obviously there was a change of ownership and then they came in signed a few players i don't think he really had that much of a of an idea of probably what he was getting himself into in a way so he made some probably some decisions that maybe someone who follows or knows a lot more about football wouldn't do and then like tommy said second second to chill so sort of early on into into the season and into obviously the reign of war todd and then you bring in graham potter and you just basically hand him all these players and go do what you can and I, i'm gonna We'll probably talk about this but i don't think the players signed were probably players that potter wanted they were probably players that had been lined up to sign like tommy said previously or earlier i think he was doomed from the start and then they kind of just sacked him at a point where like well it's the actual point especially to bring in a temporary manager so there's a lot of things that went wrong i mean you've covered a couple of that but let's then now break it down a little bit so obviously thomas tuchel started the season are you both adamant hindsight is always beautiful and will justify all your points here was sacking Tuchel definitely the wrong move? Do you think they would have been better if they stuck with him longer? Would you have had more faith in him to guide through the chaos? Or go to Squiggy to start? Because I know he's also got strong views on Potter. I, I think sticking with Tuchel probably should have been the what they've gone with. Like I don't really think they were playing terrible football. I just, again, I don't think they had the players that they really needed at that point. And I think, I think there was a little bit of probably Tuchel and maybe the board didn't see eye to eye a little bit. And maybe that's why he got sacked. But you, you you would stick with him because he's a top manager. You know, he's won things other places. He obviously came in and did a good job at Chelsea the season before. And obviously since he left, he went to Bayern Munich. So, you know, so he's, it's not as if he's a, he's a terrible manager who's got no sort of prestige in the game because he went from Chelsea to Bayern Munich. It's not as if he went from Chelsea to like, you know, a fourth division team somewhere. And it was kind of a fluke that he got the Chelsea job. Or just stayed so, on the unemployment line for a while. Or stayed on the unemployment line, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think it was the wrong decision. And I think they probably should have stuck by him. Do you echo that, Tommy? Or do you yeah, think... I think, so. I think... I don't know. I feel like they were like... Early on in the season, they, they weren't looking amazing. Like, I, I don't think they would have been you know, challenging for the title if Tuchel had stayed. But I think they, they would have been better, partly because... I, I mean, obviously, he was definitely a better coach than Frank Lampard. I don't think that's really up for debate which is obviously who they end of the season with he's more experienced at handling those big jobs and big people than graham potter is they would have been better i'm pretty sure about that whether you know the relationship with the the new owners and things like that was souring and that would have led to like other problems that weren't present like that's definitely possible but I think they would definitely have been better than they were. Well, with that said, we can move to manager two of the season. We have three of these to skim over here. Graham Potter, Tommy, let's start with you. Squiggy said doom from the start. Do you agree? I think he was the wrong man for the job that they had built. I think a coach like Graham Potter, he will need time. Like I think he even saw that at Brighton, given that like his first season, they weren't points-wise and like league performance-wise, they weren't like suddenly a whole lot better than they had been under Chris Hewton or anything like that. But I think as well, they, they, you need to give them like the right environment to work in and 
bringing in all those players, parachuting them in a couple of months into the season, and then like giving him even more players. Like it was just the wrong coach. I don't think he was necessarily doomed from the start. I think if they'd been maybe a little bit more sensible with him, then it could have worked. But I think at a club like Chelsea, and this goes for most of like the teams that expect to be at the top, like you have to be very lucky if you start badly and the fans start getting fed up that you get through it. I think if they'd stuck with him until the end of the season I think they would have finished better than they did not a whole lot better I I don't necessarily again think they would have managed to get into Europe or push towards like fifth sixth seventh that kind of thing but I think they would have been closer than they ended up that's the decision I go that was just a strange and I would say bad decision so Squiggy you're going he was doomed from the start is that because you didn't rate Potter or is it a case of you just didn't see how Potter would work at Chelsea based on what he'd done previously when I say doomed from the start I think it's more I think I mentioned this on probably another episode where we spoke a little bit about probably Chelsea and Potter and it was that Potter's a good is a good coach. I think for a lot a lot of teams like that where you're spending big money on players, there's a lot of egos in those kind of teams. And I don't think Potter probably commanded the kind of respect that from some of those players. You know, like it's it's sort of similar on football manager if you're not a if your history or whatever in the game isn't that you've done X, Y, and Z, some players just don't care and don't want to play for you. And not saying the football manager is lifelike, but I think that's kind of where Potter probably was in that Chelsea dressing room that was like oh he's you know he's that he's that guy who did well at Brighton but that was Brighton where Chelsea you know where Chelsea players we probably we know more than him we've we've been around playing top football for a lot longer and I think Potter's a good manager he did well at Swansea Brighton yeah so you know so he, he did well but he did well at smaller clubs where the expectation isn't there and I think you know he did a great he did a great job at Brighton, and I just think going to Chelsea it was a, it's probably a for him it was probably a good move because it, he's going to a to a bigger club. But I think his reputation probably didn't help him going into a team with all those players, especially when you've signed what over three hundred and fifty million worth of players in that season, probably even more than that. And I don't think a lot of them probably bought into his ways of of playing football. And I don't think the players were there for his kind of football as well. That's kind of why I see he was doomed from the start. Nothing against nothing against Potter I think he's a good manager but I just don't think he was the right fit for Chelsea sorry that's like what you're saying about like the players and how they would like respect him or not and that's part of what makes it like really like such a strange decision to then sack him because a obviously like Brighton is a very different situation very different kind of club and pressure but they had like some younger players coming in that were starting to be like blooded in or players without like the massive reputation you had Moises Caicedo and McAllister and people like that they were buying players obviously like for massive amounts of money compared to what Brighton was spending but in January people like Enzo Fernandez, Mudrick, Badia Shield, things like that who were like younger players that you would think yes again they've got a big reputation than the Brighton players but like they're more the kind of player that you would think he would like want to mould and then you sack him I don't understand like it's why the idea you... you slap down the clay say mould this player because he's your sort of player but then not giving him any time to do the work so he's yeah. just I think the January players were probably more players for Potter to work with but I think the ones that came in obviously when Tuchel was there weren't those kind of players you know maybe apart from Fafana who was obviously injured anyway but like okay. Sterling but... Sterling's been around I don't think him and Kukurea got on very well towards the end of his Brighton spell from what I remember then you've got Aubameyang who seems yeah. to get on with absolutely no one Absolutely, that that's the whole thing. It's like, okay, you've made you made these sales or these transfers in the summer for Thomas Tuchel, bringing Aubameyang, who he has worked with before at Dortmund and things like that. 
and then you sack him and you put a manager in place who hasn't worked with players like that before like like you're saying you look at the squad at the experience and like the trophy winning in there and you've got like Tiago Silva and Raheem Sterling, Aubameyang, Kante, Jorginho, these like experienced players like who are going to look and be like, why oh, signed for this manager or I'm used to this? And then you've got somebody completely different who's used to working with, again, in a very different kind of situation. Can I compare it to Roy Hodgson going to Liverpool without you? Sort yeah, of? it is, it is, is, a, little is, that bit, sort it is of... a little bit like that. And I think maybe like from Port's point of view, it's maybe like potentially a bit too soon for him. Like he was probably would have been better off having like another year at Brighton and he seems like the kind of manager who would have wanted to go and work abroad again like go to Spain or Germany or something like that or like do like another step up in the Premier League like I don't know going to somewhere like West Ham or something like that like if they'd got rid of Moyes where there's potentially like a little bit more pressure than Brighton well, that was potentially changing fan wise I think the pressure and expectations still sort of it's just the historic isn't it at West Ham and yeah. the ceiling yeah. with the, having the London Stadium and the setup yeah. there in Europe in recent I think yeah. I think that's the thing with Brighton as well that you know Chris Chris Hutton was manager previously and you know he's he did a good job at Newcastle he's done a good he did a good job at Brighton Norwich as well I think but you but, can see where the ceiling was for him at yeah. Brighton and Potter was able to move the ceiling slightly more up and then yeah. it's like it's like you're given time, you're gradual baby steps as an investment. Whereas historically, when you look at Chelsea, the ceiling is you win a trophy or you go. Yeah. And, and even then, you could win a trophy and you're still going. Yeah. Like, obviously, Tuchel won Champions League and stuff like that and didn't last very long. But I think, I think that's time. the expectation at Chelsea that you've got to be challenging for, you know, if you're in all four competitions, all four trophies as manager, you've got to balance your team so you're still challenging for everything. And if you're not, we're going to get rid of you. And I think a lot of people hoped that it was going to change when the club got sold to, to Todd Burley, but it obviously didn't. Because I think a lot of people said that he's appointed Potter, Potter needs time. You know, this could be actually the changing of how Chelsea's been ran recently. And then he went and sacked him and brought in Lampard. Speaking of that, should we touch on Lampard? Because I, I say this generally, and I know it's something because I know you both, but I'll put this on record is none of us really rated Lampard before going to Chelsea. It was an eye... Um, for the second time. Like, it was a bit of an eyebrows in appointment, even on an interim basis, based on how Everton had gone and everything like that. And his previous Chelsea spell had ended. But did you think it would go as bad as it did, Tommy? No, is the is the easy answer. It, it seemed like it was... I think people wrote this as well, being like... It's a win-win situation for Lampard, you know. If he comes in and he gets them performing better, you know, he builds his reputation again. And if he doesn't, he can walk away and go, well, there was no fixing that. They were in a mess. Whatever, we've ended up where we've ended up. The owners probably thought it was that as well. Being like, well, everybody's really unhappy. Let's bring in a club legend who can cheer everybody up. They all like him. Obviously, he got sacked during COVID. Now they can, like, send him off properly when he leaves at the end of the season. But it went so badly. And this is also what I mean about why would you sack Graham Potter and do that? It's not as if they would bring somebody in who like, yes, this is a really good coach. And while I don't rate Lampard very highly, he is obviously a better coach than I will ever could ever hope to be before anybody goes, what are you talking about? You can't coach forever. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I know that. But evidence suggests that Lampard is not uh, somebody who's going to come in and immediately turn things around and... and implement a style of play that's going to get you loads of points everybody's going to be really happy and it just seemed so pointless as well doing it at the time but how how badly it went it was 
genuinely surprising. It was the kind of movie where, oh, okay, well, they'll pick up a few wins now. They'll lose the games that you'd expect them to lose. Like, it felt like, again, even though Frank Lampard isn't that super coach, it felt like that thing that a lot of those teams, like the bigger teams do, or like, I wouldn't even say bigger teams, like teams in general do, where like, they're underperforming, the manager under pressure, they sack him, somebody comes in and suddenly they just pick up and do better. Like they lose the games you expect them to lose, but they climb the table and they just they just plummeted. And it was really, really bizarre. I mean, Lampard said he, he questioned, like he's done an interview since and questioned whether the players, you know, motivating them, he questioned the effort of the players. So he seemed to put into the atmosphere and put it out I, there. I that feel that that was just a Frank Lampard excuse. <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you, I was going to say, are you good? Is there any sort of like defense with Lampard there or do you just like look, well based on his time at Everton there's no defense hey I just I think what the way Tommy described it was a bit like when Shearer came in to manage Newcastle in that obviously Newcastle was a lot a lot worse situation you know they were, they Shearer was less experience as well yeah but it was in like one of them where we're bringing back a club legend if it goes well you know He's done. He's done well. If not, he can drift off into the sunset, and you know, at least he can say he tried. And again, at least Newcastle did pick up a few wins when Shearer took over. But Chelsea just seemed to. I don't know. I wouldn't say they got worse. They just seemed to not I get they got not, worse. <laughs> see, I, I don't think they got worse. I just don't think they got better. And I think teams that were playing just wanted it a bit more and like had a bit more to play for than Chelsea. I think. I think under Potter, they weren't getting the results, but there were times when he watched them where he'd be like, okay. They've gotten a bit unlucky there, like that they were, they just couldn't stick the ball in the net sometimes. Yeah. There's stuff clicking, you see on the picture, like he's trying to do this, but there's no, there's no, yeah. it's there's, like a, like a preseason. There's bits you saw of Chelsea under Potter where they were basically doing everything, but that ball wasn't going over the line. And I'm pretty sure there was somewhere somehow the ball just didn't go over the line, no matter how much they tried. And you're just thinking, well, at least they're there trying to score. I think the only thing for Lampard is that he didn't know how to defend. Like, he doesn't know how to coach defense defensively. And I think it made Chelsea probably play a little bit more attacking than what they did under Potter, but they still couldn't score goals. Which then gave their opponents opportunities more, because yeah. the more like, you push forward, the... <laughs> we we yeah. played them last game of the season, and the goal we scored was absolutely... I know it's the last game of the season, but the defending for that goal was absolutely terrible. Like, it was... Honestly, it was ridiculous. I think defensively, they probably got worse, but at least going forward, they probably tried to go and i say try to go for but try to go probably a little bit more direct under lampard because he probably didn't know what he was doing fairness to him was it was it under or it would have been between i guess potter and lampard where it was that period where they they just didn't score a goal yeah and gallagher's goal which was a horrible deflected one was the deflected one won goal of the month for that month was the only one that scored yeah yeah Yeah, it was that sort of thing i I think they were better under i don't even necessarily think they were better attacking under lampard i think they were generally worse but again like i think quality of play was better under potter i'm going to talk about this with when we're talking about lampard because i could remember like some team selections where it kind of proves my point I think it all comes back to the bad decisions that were made in terms of squad building and things like that and who they chose to to go in to like coach and things like that. You bring in certain players to play for Thomas Tuchel, again, like a Bamiyang, because they didn't have a striker otherwise, and you sack him. And Kai Havertz hasn't particularly, or didn't particularly work out for them, I should say, in the past tense now as like a false nine or centre forward. There wasn't anybody else to use, really. And then you sack Otter because you're like, this is what we should do. Bad decision for no reason, bring in Lampard. And then the structure of the team is so much worse. Like, I can't remember if it was the Real Madrid game or like a couple of league games where they were playing like five in midfield. And it was like Enzo Fernandez and somebody else. And I don't feel like it was Gallagher, but maybe it was. 
or it might have been Cantor, I can't remember, it was, but, and then like Gallagher was playing like behind a striker and then it was like somebody else, like a false, like Sterling, so it was a false nine, it was like, what is, what is this team selection? Like I looked at it a couple of times and been like, what is happening? And I think it get awkward to come back from, from that squad building and, I th- and the decision making and I think if they have done the right business come the end of the transfer window, I mean, I think they'll be better anyway because Pochettino is a good coach, but it, it, if they've done that properly, then they'll obviously be in a lot better position. It did feel like it came with Lampard. Like, you have all these options now. I'm just throwing things at the wall and hoping one of them sticks. And then you hope you can build on it. It's yeah. like you're, you're not really throwing them at the wall in any particular style. You're just sort of hoping the pieces land and form the jigsaw. Kind of what you do when you have a really bad run on football manager. Not to once again compare Lampard's to football manager gameplay. But when you start to be like, I just can't win it all. Do something else. Keep trying something new till something clicks and then hope that cotton's on but nothing ever seemed to click and there was no one he could really go you're my person and maybe Jao Felix was probably the only highlight but oh yeah I thought they signed Jao Felix they did wow. and he I'm, did, li- he did I'm well. literally looking through Chelsea's squad now and I completely forgot about him as well I, I was did, trying to think who well. was it that played up front or who was it that played there I'm like of course it was Jao Felix Wow. Ja- yeah, Jao Felix was he was their third top scorer. Yeah, I think he did well when he showed, you know, he scored he four I was, goals. I was going to say he did well, which probably says a lot when you're like, he scored four goals, Laura, and he was sent off in his debut, uh, <laughs> and which was he just, uh, quite he just, funny. Like had a bit of like spark about him, I think. But yeah. what a monumental waste of money that is. Yeah, and again, and again, again, decision making. Like, why would you sign a player like that on loan for a certain manager for a mass amount of money? And it was, it was something ridiculous. It was reported a big sort of fee, like and then it was questionable whether they were ever going to be able to sell him permanently. I know they've opted not to, and they I don't think they stated that money was the problem or anything like that, but it was kind of like... But And then and then you sack the manager who was in place then, and then you've got a, a, a temporary manager who obviously can't make a decision about signing him. Like, what, what was the point? You've signed this player to get him on loan, to get some extra bodies in, because you can't get somebody else, I assume. But also you're thinking, well, maybe he'll be a good signing. And like, obviously, from the outside, Pochettino could look at him and be like, yeah, he's a player I'd like to work with. Please sign him. But I feel like any loan like that, like especially with the other business they did in January, the age profile of the players, that's somebody that you're wanting to build a team around with that manager. Why would you then sack that manager having made that investment? It is a bit baffling, but we have naturally moved away from the manager in the players. And I do want to touch on it. Is there any players you think... You want to talk on that came in or not? Because I mean, Koulibaly's already got signed, and now he's gone. That was a, like a quick turnaround there. He was got... he was a terrible defender, by the way. Just for the record, <laughs> we were linked with him when Rafa was manager. I remember, obviously, I didn't really know much about him. You know, you watch those little reels on YouTube and whatever. You and, watch him in the Champions League in, and he looked and he looked a good anyway. defender. And every game I saw him in the Premier League, he looked like he didn't know which foot he was kicking the ball with. He just seemed to to panic quite a lot. He reminded me a little bit of who was the defender Liverpool had Tommy? Was it Saka? Oh, Saka. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of him where he just didn't yeah. look like he was a ball, like a ball playing defender. He didn't look comfortable on the ball. But it was that's the system the that... that limited him, sort of thing. It's but, not that's, a but that's the way that everyone at played t- football. At times, at times, Sacco looked really, really good. And then he would yeah. also do stuff and he'd be like, are you are you okay? Yeah. And that's that's how I, when I watched Koulibaly quite a bit, I remember the Newcastle game, obviously, at home. And it was him and Thiago Silva at the back. And I remember the commentators going on about how great this defensive pairing is. And generally, I, I think Lasalle's and Mike Williamson as a pair would have done a better job. That's, that's how bad 
he looked. And I mean, they paid 33 million for him as well, and he's obviously gone. Kukurea, I, I know, didn't he have like a few, did he have a few fitness problems when he first came to Chelsea? They they didn't eat appendix, not uh, tonsillot, no, glandular fever. Wasn't it reported that he had glandular fever and he had lost a lot of weight? There was some illness he said Possibly, he was said to yeah. have, and it was like he had dropped so much, so it was his body shape, so many kilograms he'd lost or something like that. Yeah, because he, he he's had a... Based on his season at Brighton, obviously he had a poor first season at Chelsea. But I mean, I went from rating him to being like, "Did I get caught up in your hype? Like people get caught up in your hair?" Because wow. But then this is a case of are we putting this on all the players here. Like we'd mentioned these players, but is it like the system? Victor? Is there some of them that are like, "Wow, you know they could be good." Like let's take Sterling for example. I don't know how you both feel about Sterling. I'm going to assume you rate him to some level because of how long he's been. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, he, he does a good job at mindset. He's done a good job for England. And then he but, went to Chelsea and you look at him and go, did you ever play football at a high standard? But he, he but again, he didn't. He didn't man. Is it, he didn't he get game time, did he? Really? Well, he got, he, got t- he just sort of disappeared into the team when you need people to, you know what I mean? Even when he played, you're yeah. like, oh yeah, he is playing, double check. I mean, I think he's another one that probably was just like a victim of the situation, really. The structure wasn't great again. You come in and you're like, okay, great. I'm going to play for Thomas Tuchel. And we start the season and then he goes and then it's a different way of playing. And then it's not going well and confidence dips and vibes become bad vibes rather than good vibes. (laughs) And you get into a funk and then it changes again with another manager and everybody's playing badly. Yeah, I think it's one of those things for for Sterling and it, I think it'll partly depend on how Pochettino wants his team to set up and what he wants to how much he wants to use Sterling um, which I assume will be quite a lot I assume he'll still be one of like the main players for I, them I think Pochettino can get a lot out of Sterling I think he probably fits in with the way he'd probably want to play with like a quick a quick winger who can cut inside basically it seemed at Chelsea he played everywhere across the front three he never sort of I don't think he was ever really settled anywhere like there was times he was playing on the right on the left I'm sure he played through the middle a few times as well yeah, and I think that's that's that was part of the problem was that like well he maybe doesn't need like a set position to be like you stay here and you do this but it helps to not be like shunted around the pitch and yeah. again for the team to have like an actual structure and know what they're doing properly with other people I think the only players that they brought in that immediately proved something or, or, or showed like some glimmers of hope over sort of like the second half of the season because I think the people they bought at the start of the season which again I'm going to forget a lot of them but what was it Sterling Abamyang, Kukurea Koulibaly anybody else they signed at the start of the season I mean Fafana Fafana. 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 Fafana yeah like Fafana, Fafana obviously injured quite a lot yeah did and the sign that Chuk Chukwe- yeah, I'll say Chukwe- 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 or whatever you call him, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which again was just one of those things. It's like, oh, he's a young English player. Sure, let's buy him. And the only the only players like really came in and showed something. I think were probably or Enzo Fernandez and um, Badia Shield. January seemed to bring something to the team. Like I think everybody else wasn't really particularly good. Obviously, Enzo Fernandez. I'd say it's more like promising then yes he came and he was amazing yeah i mean I think... some of the others didn't get many minutes for you to even really make the opinion yeah. they do feel like new signs for this season despite the fact they were done last season yeah i think well i think again this is probably goes down to why it was a weird time to sack potter because he probably could have stuck with them and basically given them an extra preseason from you know the middle of last season to now because they weren't going to get relegated, they weren't going to qualify for anything. They've got all, they've got a bit more time to sort of buy into Potter's the way he wants to play. I think that, 
that's that 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 was my whole thing about it was like why would you sack him in like what was it march or something like that started just at the start of it it was it was a weird time to sack somebody like that and expect things to get better they might not have done they might have continued to be bad wasn't really going to affect them that much they would have picked up probably the same number of wins at least that they did anyway they would, like, they would have beat the teams around them based exactly. on the fact of the players that they had in their squad there was enough Assume. quality to ooze out some more results if things yeah, were yeah. going they, they in down. and then and then you could go into the summer and be like okay what do we actually want to do now and or you could have taken that decision to sack him at the end of the season and be like right we, if we don't see this improvement we're definitely going to sack him let's still get Pochettino in but at least then you, you're, you've got some kind of continuity and you're giving the players a chance to pick things up a little bit and, and improve and start actually scoring some goals or something like that rather than just making a change for the for the sake of it, it almost felt like. Well, let's. I'm going to say this is going to be as positive as this gets because let's look forward. Let's look ahead, right? And you've both referenced it, but Porticino is obviously the man who's going to be in the hot seat. It did seem to take ages to get that over the line because it was like Porticino's going to be Chelsea manager. He is. He is. He is. And then eventually it was confirmed. Squiggy, he's been in the Premier League before. We, you know, I mean, he didn't get a trophy with Tottenham, and we like, as we said, Chelsea, it's trophies or die. It's like ride or die, but you know, trophies or die. Do you think Pochettino's the man to do this? Can Pochettino do something here? Is it a better situation given the fact he's had a pre-season and all these some of these players have been there like a bit and shouldn't be like, well, what's going on? I know he's getting new signings as well, but it's probably Chelsea's well best chance most recently. But again, you know, he's a Pochettino's a good manager. You saw what he did at Southampton and Tottenham and like in the Premier League. You know, you can do it. He took Tottenham to second place and then after he's left, look at Tottenham now. But again, it, I think it just depends on what players to bring in I, I don't know how much of a say he has in all the transfers because obviously that's a bit problem that Tuchel had but I don't think he really had much of a say in who was brought in so you'd assume Pochettino's come in with the right with sort of right I want to decide who who I'm bringing in who's playing for me and if he gets his way you know you, you'll you'll improve some of the players that are already there and if he gets players that's fit into his system then should probably have a, a competitive team whether they're competitive enough to you know challenge back again in that top four I don't know because I think those teams up there have probably maybe bar and Newcastle top three and Liverpool have probably improved quite a bit from from last season already and I don't know if Ch- if Chelsea are still playing catch-up but you'd expect them to be up and around there under Pochettino and maybe they don't qualify for the Champions League but they go to a cup final possibly they and obviously they're not from the sort of rebuild season what would you yeah. like minimum expectations what would you say is a bad job like just to set the bar of where you're putting it here in sort of numbers I mean a, a, as in league position what would be bad for them or yeah, as in, like, if you said, oh, look, if they could finish, if they finished eighth, would you be like, oh, he's going to get sacked? You know what I mean? That sort of vibe you're saying, you know, you're not pushing on. But... I think I think Europe, Europe's minimum, probably. Okay. And, and that's ending Europe, that's not. But if you're going to finish in the, the conference places, you've probably got to win a domestic trophy. That's the that's... way I would see it. Tommy, is that something you echo? I think they'll definitely be better. And I think I think I agree that how much better, probably partly depends on how they start and like how they set up and also the remainder of the transfers they do because there are going to be more like i say well it's been reported they're signing axel disassi let's hope that's not a disassi stuff podcast i know <laughs> a, a pun cast you mean um Just end it now end it because i think they, they obviously need another center back with Fafana's injury and they saw Kulabali. they need probably some midfielders i would guess given that's that, their weak area isn't it yeah, when you look at losing mount like, and everything 
yeah, the, the two the two strikers look pretty handy though. It depends how they again how they're going to set up. Like, is Nkunku going to be like a centre forward, or is he going to be more of like a, a an attacking midfielder, like second striker getting up there? Jackson's looked pretty good from what I've seen for preseason. Yeah. Um, I don't think it depends on like how those players from last season are used and, and kind of grow like Mudrick and Fernand- Enzo Fernandez and people like that. I feel like with the competition at the top of the Premier League now, I think it's we're going to see more and more of those big teams, probably minus Man City, finishing fifth and sixth. And while it's not acceptable, it's not sacking territory or this season was a failure territory because I just think like obviously we had the big six in inverted commas. And Newcastle had a great season last season. You imagine that even if they don't meet the same level of performance this season with European football and things like that, they will continue to grow. Aston Villa did really well. Brighton did really well. There's teams below them that did really well, but didn't quite make it there. Like Brentford did really well. Fulham had a really good season for them. You know, West Ham, if they signed some players, might have another Don't bring West Ham into this. it's getting to the point where it's very difficult to say that finishing outside of the top four is a failure or finishing seventh is a failure. I feel like Chelsea could, because of the quality of players they've got, they can definitely push to be in the top four. Maybe it might be more likely that they just scrape fourth or finish fifth or sixth or something like that. But I think even if they finish down in seventh, as long as like the signs were there, I think that they are getting better. And that the players they signed last season, the players they've signed now, are growing into a team and probably they keep making sure they've cut all the dead wood that they want. That I think that would be a decent first season. I'm not going to say good, but I don't think it would be bad. Is acceptable more the word? Is it kind of like when you meet your sort of minimum goals in FM and yeah, get the next I season? So. I just think FM is a great example for Chelsea for some reason, but it's that you've, you've done enough. Was it, yeah, I you've think, set the I base. Think most, most. But you've fans, got a C grade. Yeah, most fans of, like I say, the big six will be like, well, we need to get in the top four. I'm sure that most of them will probably say, if you said to me at the start of the season we'd finish fifth or sixth, I'd be like, nope, not good enough. But I think, again, maybe this is me trying to brace myself for the season ahead. Although I am optimistic that given the competition, you're not that likely to finish there. But I think if you can finish in a European place and go on a cup run, like so he says, win a domestic trophy, like that's. A decent season, I think. I think they just need to see some, make sure there is an improvement. Things are going in the right direction. If they finish sixth and they're only a few points short of fifth or fourth or whatever it is, and they did decently in the cups, they're back in Europe. The players are playing better. They will have had have had a season under Pochettino and another season with each other to start developing a bit more. I think that would be. A, a good season. See, this seems quite positive. You're both predicting better. I think it's fair to say you're just not oh, willing to go. They're not, they're not going to get worse. Let's be honest. If they right. get worse, Famous. if they get worse, that would be. I'm sorry for Chelsea fans. That would be hilarious. Only because last season felt like it would. That has to be like that was the rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. it's like it the rock bottom for a club with the money that Chelsea do and the players that they do. When you're like, seeing headlines like Frank Lampard sets managerial record or Chelsea record in 118 years or something like that was one of the headlines about the record of you know. No wins or no goals. That something, some bad records coming out that were like, it's been thirty-eight years since. Mm, it's been forty. Yeah, yeah. this that has been level. the worst season of my life. Yeah, so far. yeah, there hasn't been. That <laughs> is that sort of energy. So I feel like it's not that bold to say it's you know going to get better. But you both seem a bit more like there could be positives here. Basically, there, there's enough goodness 
going on that maybe you can see that Chelsea are going to be at I, least moving in the right direction. To, to be honest, yeah. I can't see Chelsea sacking Pochettino because what other manager? Would, yeah, <laughs> like you've gone from you've gone to probably. I mean, saying that. He was at PSG, wasn't he? Tuchel was at PS. Tuchel's been at PSG. You know, where, where do you go what, from what there? They do if they have to sack Pochettino. They get they get somebody in. They bring Frank Lampard until the end of the season. <laughs> they find another manager to keep them. John Terry like, to the end of the season. Of exactly, something like that. And then Ashley when Luis Enrique gets sacked by PSG, then they can bring him in, and the cycle continues. And then PSG get Mourinho, and then at the the cycle continues. I, I can only really see them sacking Pochettino if, again, they are, like, 12th in March or something like that, which they won't be. Like, I'm pretty confident of that. And if they do, then I have to obviously revise their kind of operating model and be like, right, what what do we actually do? Who can we actually get in as a manager? Just to wrap up this podcast, because I do want to give them some positivity if Chelsea fans have tuned in so we don't get, like, chased. Anti-Chelsea <laughs> bias podcasts. Yeah, which I mean, Ooh. we're not. But who are you looking forward to playing for Chelsea? As in, who do you tip to be maybe a standout player in the coming season? Is there anyone you're expecting? They can already be at the club, by the way. It's not like them. There's, there's enough players to pick from. Is there anyone you're like, you know what? He will have a good season. Enzo Fernandez. I, I think he was he was good last season. Not sure he was £106 million good, but... I mean, who is? Yeah, but I, but I think maybe with, you know, like a, a pre-season at Chelsea, a better manager, probably some more organisation around him and some better players. He probably should thrive, I would say. But then saying that, he got dominated by a 17-year-old when we played them in the pre-season, so... Yeah, but I don't count pre pre season oh, stuff. Pre-season wild. Count. Yeah. Let's and be the, fair. Um, the striker that I mentioned before, Jackson. Liz Jackson. Ooh. Yeah. He looked pretty impressive in preseason. See how them two get on. Tommy? Uh, I don't I don't think it's so much like I don't know if I've got a prediction about who's gonna be good or anything like that. So much Just no, no one's no one's gonna be worse than they were last year. <laughs> yeah. Everyone will be better. I think and... I think it looks like they've got like a striker that will actually suit them in Jackson. And obviously, Nkunku has played as a striker for Leipzig a lot. So I think that's uh, th- those are good things for them. If they don't sign another striker, I assume that those two are the people who've, who have been signed to play as a striker. So I think that's that's the main positive I think for them is that they can look at yeah, okay, we've got we've got a couple of strikers who can probably do do the job for us. Um, I think agree with Scrooge about Enzo Fernandez, and I think if he's Bitter this season, or he doesn't get injured as much this season. Obviously, Reese James being back is a massive positive for them as well. Like if he stays fit for the majority of the season, that's really good. And then even if he doesn't, they have like an actual similar replacement now. I think with Malo Gusto, rather than having the thirty whatever year old as Pelaqueta playing as a right back. So yeah, I think that'll be good to see as well. Positivity. But yeah, we've been the Football Beef a podcast. Well, that was our Chelsea special. Do tweet us at BuzzFootball with all your opinions about Chelsea. Well, do you think they'd do better? Is Pochettino the right man? What went wrong last season? And you know what? Tweet us Chelsea memes because they're always enjoyable. And in case they do generally improve and we don't get a memeable season, it's always nice to have the memories. So be sure to join us because our season previews will be coming where we talk about every team and Squiggy will tell us about his hopes and dreams for Newcastle. Whoop, whoop. And Tommy will be j- talking about obviously Mbappe being in a Liverpool shirt if we're oh, reasonable. Oh, oh, obviously, be, I mean, why, why would anybody think that that wouldn't happen? There is no, you know, historical evidence to suggest that that wouldn't happen. 
Can't wait to put that out when on the day that Tommy <laughs> on Mbappe does sign for Liverpool and Tommy's quote going. I will. I wasn't being sarcastic. I will. What 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 can I say that I'll eat that I absolutely hate? You could just uh uh you know put a gamble on the fact you buy a Liverpool shirt of Mbappe on the back because that's probably an expensive. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah, I'll buy I'll buy I'll buy a full Liverpool kit with Mbappe on the back of all. And of you've them. got it and the shorts with the number on as well. Oh yeah, obviously. Yeah. If he signs for Liverpool. Beautiful. So do join us again He's when Liverpool and Mbappe. I, I I can't spend. I can't drop like <laughs> over a hundred pounds on a Liverpool kit with personalisation on it as well. How much? How much Liverpool kits are? They are something like that. Yeah, they probably are. I'd say it's like not the point. We're not going to discuss this here. We'll do a whole other beef <laughs> about football prices shirts in the future. Yeah, hold on, hold yeah, on, yes, let's, let's, let's do that. Anyway, twenty twenty three. Do subscribe, rate us five stars, retweet, and all that content. Share, tell your friends. Bing bam boom. Happy new season coming soon, guys. Yeah. Football beef. This just in from the powers that be. We have the reports of a spiffingly wonderful but slightly weird podcast with news from around the world wide web. This podcast contains amusing quips and delightful anecdotes that may just cheer up your Monday. I believe I'm getting some audio from the podcast itself. I seem to have a history with mini golf because I've had a bird land on my shoulder at another mini golf course. You ever thought about not playing mini golf as much or indoor mini golf safely? I've pl- I've played indoor mini golf and I got hit in the head with a mini golf ball. I was like, why would you not know Andre the Giant? Like of all the wrestlers, you can't name. Like, I just like guy called Andre the Giant. <laughs> Funny thing, it'd be that other guy that's huge. <laughs> When my wife goes out, I like to lick her salt, the Himalayan salt lamps. They taste know lovely. Where you go with that. I'm so scared. <laughs> when my wife goes out, I like to lick Himalayan salt lamps. Would not have been the, the Himalayan complete salt lamps. In the, yeah, yeah. In the blank. Yeah. What, ha- what happened next? I went and got an ice cream from an ice cream shop, and the man behind the counter said, Oh, look out for the seagulls. And I just laughed because, you know, you just kind of don't really take it all in. Anyway, I was walking along the beach eating my ice cream, and out of bloody nowhere, seagull swoops down and then takes the head off of my ice cream. I'm left with a tiny bit of cone in my childlike hands. That's all we can afford to reveal from the archives. If you're wanting more of this type of top quality banter in your eardrums, then you can find them by scanning your most popular platforms, such as the spiffing Spotify, the aristocratic Apple Podcast, and grandstanding Google, among many more. How exciting! So, what's the name of this podcast, you ask? Well, that's a very good question. And the answer to that question is the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. What's that? Say it again, you say? It's the Totally Buzzed UK podcast. You can catch their broadcast from the early bird time of Monday at 7am. But not to worry if you aren't such an early bird as you could always visit the archives when new episodes are added weekly for your listening pleasure. If you suffer from selective hearing, I shall repeat again where you can search for these archives. The following are Spiffing Spotify, Aristocratic Apple Podcasts and Grandstanding Google, among others. So if you enjoy a tickety-boo time, then adjust your streaming platforms and tune in.